open your Bibles to the letter of the Ephesians, to the Ephesians, chapter 4. The letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. So, fall retreat. I always love fall retreat. I just love the fall in general. So it makes fall retreat a lot better, typically. Um, but it, it's really a time for us to gather for a focused time of worship, biblical teaching, community, and also fun. We do try to have some fun um, during fall retreats. But we also really take this time kind of at the beginning of the church here. It's still kind of at the beginning of the church here to kind of set the tone for what I want for you guys uh, to be in the student ministry. And so we want you to be involved in this weekend, and hopefully it will jumpstart you um, into this year to be a, a follower of Jesus and, and really uh, launch into this year well. So uh, this weekend is really just designed to equip you with some teachings, some practices, um, and the relationships here in this room to help you better follow Jesus. So right now, we've been in the, the thick of a series um, on the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis. And I'll be honest with you, it's really teachy. Like, it's pretty dense. And sometimes it seems like it's just, like, up there floating in the air. Like, that's cool. And what does that have to do with my life today? And now we try to be real practical with it. But um, I'll be honest, it's a little teachy. But here in this series... We're going to really try to be uh, very practical. We're going to try to take you following Jesus and put it on the ground. What does it mean for you to follow Jesus today, right now, in your life? And um, I think that will be really refreshing to you all, especially if you've been involved with Sunday nights. Um, so I hope that this series is something that changes you. It's something that will challenge you to be more like Jesus than you were today. And that's really what we're talking about all this weekend is change, how Jesus changes you. So as I encourage you with all, every event and every gathering that we have in student ministry, be good stewards of this opportunity. Don't squander it away. Don't just make it another time where you take pictures and um, make some funny memories or, or whatnot. Really invest in the teaching. Really invest in this time of worship. Invest in the relationships around you. And um, I think it'll be beneficial for you, okay? So really, really, this is up to you guys. You're going to get as much from this retreat as, as you put into it, as you want to invest in it. So that's up to you, all right? Uh, so let's read a really important passage for this weekend out of Ephesians 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 17, and then um, I'll pray for us. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do or as unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me pray for us. God, we are here as your children or as people who maybe think that we're your children. Or maybe, God, we're here as people who are just rejecting you. I recognize that there is diversity in this room. We're all at different spots. But right now, we are gathered here to sit under your word. And Father, however that word falls, whatever soil it lands on, I pray that you would be glorified. But Lord, we desperately ask for your word to take root in these students' hearts and to grow and to multiply and to fruit, bearing your glory, your goodness and grace. So God, as your word is spoken, may you change lives by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, there's a sentence that I've repeated a lot in student ministry. If you're new to student ministry, I'm still sure that you've heard it before. Um, But it's actually a sentence that I've developed from this passage. When I was preaching on this passage many years ago, like three years ago, not like many, many years ago, like three or four, um, I was preaching on this passage and I, I developed this statement as a summary of this teaching. But it's God saved you to change you to make you more like Jesus, or for you to become more like Jesus for his glory. God saved you to change you, to make you more like Jesus for his glory. I hope that sentence resonates for you for the rest of your life. It's something that's resonated with me for the rest of my life, I hope. And I hope that it shapes how you understand what the Christian life is all about. There's a lot of ways that we could summarize the Christian life saying I, it, it's the belief of Jesus, or it's the belief in this, or it's this happened, or what. This is the program of God. This is what God is up to. God has saved you to change you to make you more like Jesus for his glory. So the general sense of that passage from Ephesians teaches us this major truth, that God saved us to change us. God saved you to change you. So verse 17 says, Christians no longer walk as people who are not followers of Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are called into a new way of life. You don't simply have a new set of beliefs. You don't simply have a new set of truths that you agree with. But you are called to put off your old self with your former way of life and to put on a new self. So God saves you to change you. I think all of us have a deep sense that we need to change. I think all of us have a deep restlessness in us, that we're not yet there, that we're working towards something. We have a conscience or restlessness in us, and I think that that's very important, and it's very important how we respond to that restlessness in us. See, the culture we live in today tells us that this conscience or this fundamental brokenness that we feel about ourselves should either be suppressed or ignored. You feel not all right? Well, our culture, the good news of the culture is suppress that, ignore that, or just accept who you are. 
The great good gospel of our culture and our world is self-expression and self-acceptance. And while that resonates of some truth, it also leads us down a dangerous path of thinking that we don't need to change. So from the world's perspective, the issue is not that we need to change, but that others need to accept us for who we are. That puts the responsibility on other people and not on yourself. We know that we need to change. And, and the world and the culture preaches, no, just accept yourself. You'll be fine. It's in every pop song on the radio. It's in every Disney movie ever. And I watch a lot of Disney movies because I have a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and Eden doesn't watch Disney movies yet, but I'm sure she will. But this is the message. This is what is being pumped through our brains and minds and souls through all of these things constantly. Self-acceptance is the true path to happiness. And I would say that defies what you feel inside yourself. That defies even what you know to be true that you need to change. So the good news of Jesus sometimes starts with the bad news. And the bad news is, or the good news, is that we are lost without Jesus. That we are dead in our sin without Jesus. So what I want to do is setting the tone for this whole weekend talking about change and spiritual formation or whatnot. We need to first talk about why we need to change. And that, in fact, we do. So why do we need to change? Why do we need to change? In short, we need to change because our former way of life, our life apart from Jesus, is fundamentally misdirected, broken, and sinful. We need to change because something is broken in us. And the, the key to happiness and satisfaction in life is not ignoring that or simply accepting that brokenness, but it's finding the remedy to that brokenness in Jesus. So let's look back through our passage. And what we're going to see is a description of our life apart from Jesus. Uh, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do or as unbelievers do or as you once walked in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Listen, the, the number one problem with people before they know Jesus or the number, problem, number one problem with you before you know Jesus is not simply you didn't know about Jesus. There's a lot of layers here. There is a lot going on in our hearts apart from Jesus. The first thing is a futile mind. A futile mind. This is another way of saying that we walk outside of the truth. We are empty-minded, lacking the true knowledge of God. So in Romans 1, Paul uses the same language or the same description. He says that though ungodly people knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this is not saying that we were dumb or stupid before we found Jesus. That's not saying people who aren't Christians are stupid. Um, but it's, it's giving more of this sense that since our mind was designed to pursue God, if we are not pursuing God with our minds— then it is futile, pointless, or completely unprofitable. 
No matter what we're using our mind for, if it's not directed towards God or leading us to God, our creator and our savior, it comes to a dead end at some point and becomes pointless. So if everything was created to point to God, this includes your minds. And if our minds are not leading us to God, then it's pointless or futile. So this futile thinking is something that characterizes us before Christ or characterizes those people outside of Christ. And it's not good. It needs to change. And that's an important point for us here. There's something that's broken in us. Now, this is continued. Second, we see that there's a, a darkened understanding. This is definitely linked to the same idea of a futile mind. But this is what this phrase is getting at. Before Christ or without Christ, we have an aimless existence. It is aimless in the sense that you feel lost or aimless in the sense that when you arrived at your goal that you've been working so hard for, you still feel empty or lost. So you may feel like you are progressing towards something. I would say we all feel that way. And you are not completely aimless or lacking in motivation. But at the end of the day, if your aim, your pursuit, your goal is not in God then you will find yourself empty and aimless at the end of every single pursuit. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes, the most encouraging book in the Bible, will tell you. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is like trying to grasp after the breath or the air or vapor. So as long as the fear of God is not the center of our life, our life is vapor. It's pointless. It's aimless. And that's, that's a, well, we'll get to it. Paul continues, and he says that they are alienated from the life of God. Apart from Jesus, we are alienated, detached, separated from the very life of God that gave us our existence. The book of Genesis describes our creation as, as human beings. So we are formed from the dust, so we're linked to the earth, but then God breathed the life or he breathed his life into us. We are sustained by the life of God. So being alienated from the life of God means we are detached from that which gives us our significance, our identity, our very existence. We're driven away from what gives us our basic identity as human beings. So Paul gives two causes for how we've become alienated or separated from God. It's because of the ignorance that is in them and their hardness of heart. See, apart from Jesus, we are separated from God. We're alienated from the very God that made us and saved us. Um, but be because we're ignorant, it's because we are ignorant. And this is not simply an ignorance of not knowing something. It's an ignorance of stubbornness. Like, this is not simply you not knowing about God and Jesus. This is you knowing actively refusing to accept that reality. So it's like we're constantly pushing God away. That is our life before Jesus. We're pushing God away. We are saying, no, you are not true. You are not real. Before Jesus, we're in this act of constant rebellion to the truth. And it's not that we haven't heard the truth. We have heard it, and our hearts have become callous to it. And that's the next characteristic, callousness apathy or despair, 
utter despair. Paul writes in verse 19 that they have become callous. Does anyone uh, have, like, cal- like, I play guitar, so I have calluses on my fingers. Grant, you have calluses from, like, hard labor, like building a tiny house. Like, those are more dignified calluses than me. I was like, I play guitar. I've got calluses on my fingers. But what basically is happening, if you guys don't know what calluses are, is I have played guitar, and I've pressed my fingers, the tips of my fingers, against these strings over and over and over again. And that friction has led, over time, to these hardened skin cells on the end of my fingers. So now it doesn't hurt when I press the guitar strings. That friction, over time, has led to a hardening on the end of my fingers so that I can press and be numb to the pain. Well, our hearts are a lot like that with the, with the gospel. This is what Paul is saying, is we, our hearts, our rebellion, right, that constant rebellion, there's continual friction against the truth of God, and as we continually have that friction, we, our hearts become hardened and numb to the truth of the gospel. Some of you in here, you may have been raised in the church, and you're like, yeah, I say that I believe all these things, but it's just not really my thing. Once I get to college, I'll do my own thing. And you have become so numb to the truth of the gospel. Like some of the songs that we sing, goodness gracious, the God of Calvary, like that should not be able to just roll over our hearts and not pierce our hearts with the truth of that. Like I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away. I didn't hear your call, but Father, you, you made your way in me. You had your way in me. Your grace overwhelmed me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some of us can just be numb to that. We've heard it so often, and that it's been creating friction among our hard hearts. And I would say that those things should not be numb to you. Those things should be life-giving to you. And here's the thing. When we start hearing those same things over and over again, and they just roll over our hearts, and it, it makes us numb, we grow more and more stubborn, and as we grow more and more stubborn and more and more numb to the gospel, we slip into despair. That Greek word that we translate callous can also be translated apathetic or utter despair. Apathy, which is not caring, having no pathos, no, not caring at all, is, is not the result of not knowing something or not hearing something. It's the result of hearing something over and over and over and over again that it doesn't have any real meaning to you anymore because it never had meaning to you in the first place. Some of us have to be awakened to this idea that it's possible. We've heard the name Jesus so much that we're apathetic to him. And I would say that that apathy is a place of despair, One commentator writes this, the term used here in the Greek refers to despair so severe that one has abandoned or nearly abandoned all hope. The heart has become so numb that one begins to completely lose hope. So this is the characteristic of our life before Christ or apart from Christ. They stack onto one another here. It's a vicious cycle. Our thinking is devoid of truth. Our mindset is aimless. We feel lost. We feel alienated from God. We keep stubborning our heart, pushing God away to the truth, and yet all of this just leads to apathy or utter despair. 
we come to the point where we see no way out, and with that, life begins to lose all its meaning. And what happens when life begins to lose its meaning? Oftentimes, we begin to chase any feeling that we can find. We cave into unrestrained debauchery, is what Paul talks about here. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Think about this, this progression, right? The darkness and aimlessness with which we, before Jesus, make our way through life, it leads to despair. And this despair, they give, they give into the unrestrained debauchery or sensuality in all kinds of impurity. So the picture here is of twisted or perverted behavior. One writer summarizes it this way. The picture is of people so unhappy that they've delivered themselves up to the destructive forces of their own unrestrained appetites. Does anyone know someone like that? Have you ever been that way? Life has lost all its meaning. So you're just going to chase any feeling you can find. And you're just so unhappy that everything you feel is what you chase. You just hope that feeling gives you a little sustenance for the moment because you're so unhappy. So it resonates with what Paul says later in verse 22. He says that our former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, our corruption before Jesus or apart from Jesus, has come from selfish appetites and deceitful desires. That is where our corruption has come from. Yes, our thinking is futile, our minds are darkened, and we're alienated from God, and our behavior is all twisted, but all of this is being corrupted by self-destructive, deceitful desires and selfish appetites. Apart from Jesus... Our desires deceive us into corruption. Apart from Jesus, what you feel is not the truest thing about you. Apart from Jesus, your appetites are selfish and self-destructive if we don't find them in Jesus. So let's just take a step back here. See what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we need to no longer walk in this former manner of life. We obviously need to change because our life apart from Jesus or before Christ can only be characterized as lost, broken, full of despair, twisted, corrupted. Earlier in his letter to Ephesians, Paul summarized all of this condition by saying that we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not just we're uninformed, not just we're a little messed up, or trying our best but failing. No, Paul says we're dead. Apart from Jesus, we're dead. In other words, we need a change. And not just a change of thinking or a change in behavior, not just a change of, hey, it's good for 30 minutes of your week to be devoted to the Bible, or, hey, it's good every once in a while you go to church. But we need a change of a total renovation of our hearts, our mind, our soul, and our bodies through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. This is a total inside-out change. So for some of us tonight, 
This is the bad news that we need to hear before we hear the good news. You are dead apart from Jesus. I know you're trying. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you feel lost. I know you've messed up. You screwed up. But here's the bad news you need to deal with before you come to Jesus. You're dead without him. And that's not just you. That's every single one of us in here. Every single one of us are, are children of wrath by nature. We've all lived this story. We've, we've constantly pushed God away. We've hardened our hearts to the gospel. We've become numb and apathetic. And then at the end of the day, we just tried to catch any feeling we could find. That's us. So you need a change from the inside out. I need a change from the inside out. And a change like that is only possible with God. Many of us have fooled ourselves into thinking that we can continue our way of life in our deadness as long as we claim that Jesus exists or something. Yes, I believe Jesus exists. Now just leave me alone and I'll even come to Fall Retreat. Just like leave me alone. In fact, many of us use our beliefs, our church attendance, our involvement in student ministry to disguise the fact that we don't want God to change us to be more like Jesus. I, as a student who grew up in LMDC, I used the student ministry. I used me serving on the worship team. I used my Bible knowledge to disguise myself as someone who was following Jesus. And it wasn't until I was stripped of my environment, off at college, that I really had to come to grips with who I really was. I really believe that? Is that who I want to be? And it was only through the reckless way of my own life that God got a hold of me. So many of us use those beliefs to disguise ourselves. Instead, we, we are, we're content to be changed into another image. Because here's the reality. We are all being changed. We are all being changed into the image of something. We're either being transformed into the image of Jesus or being conformed to the patterns of the world or the environments we live in. So the question is not whether or not you will change. You will. But into what image will you change into? Or, or into... What, another way to say it is, what authority will you submit to or give yourself to in order to be changed? Will you be intentional with how you change or will you be unintentional? See, there are two main change agents, okay? Your environment or the Holy Spirit. You will either be intentionally changed by the Holy Spirit or you will be unintentionally changed by your environment. What does this mean? This means that if you just wake up tomorrow or wake up next week on a school day, and go with the flow of your life, you will be changed. You will be molded and shaped into a person. But what you change into will be determined by your environment. Whatever your environment is, is who you will be changed into. So, and if you have no intentionality to your life, if you just live by your desires, pursue what others say is good, what the world props up as purposeful, you will be changed and conformed 
into the image of your environment. So what is our environment? What is our environment? For us, generally speaking, it is the Bible Belt American Christian. This is our environment for most of us. Generally speaking, our environment is Bible Belt American Christianity. It's the pers- person who knows Bible, st- Bible stories, claims to be a Christian because they're not Jewish or Muslim, um, goes to church on Sundays, has a decent moral compass, and preferably votes Republican. This is the Bible Belt American Christian. And you will be shaped into that person if you just walk around life, intake everything, and just unintentionally live your life. For the most part, that's who you'll probably turn into because that's our environment. Although it may be different for some of us, that's the image of our environment. So if you continue just to wake up, go about life, that's most likely the person that you'll be shaped into. Now, is this a bad thing? No, not necessarily. Some of these things are good. It's good to know um, Bible stories. It's good to uh, go to church on Sundays. Those are very good things. And we can actually thank our environment and our parents for instilling those values into our environment to help us go into that. But there are a few issues with it. Okay, there are a few issues with just allowing our environment to turn us into whoever we want to be. For one, it can be very deceptive. It can be very deceptive into making us believe that we're following Jesus when we are really just following comfort, security, prosperity, self-esteem, all in the name of Jesus. Does the Bible Belt afford us a lot of good things? Absolutely. I owe much of my life following Jesus to the fact that my parents raised me in the Bible Belt, sent me to a Christian school, and took me to church on Sunday and Wednesdays. So it's not a bad environment, okay? But here's the thing. Listen very carefully. If we rely on our environment, then we run the risk of deceiving who we really are. If we rely on our environments to change us, we run the risk of deceiving who we really are. Secondly, if we continue to go throughout life simply conforming to our environment, then we'll be constantly governed by our circumstances or by our environment. If you go to a Christian school, you'll be a Christian. If you go to a public school, you'll be a public person. <laughs> if, you go, if you're homeschooled, you'll be a homeschooler, and it will show. I went to Liberty University. It's like half homeschoolers. <laughs> yes. Um, but we, we will be governed by our circumstances and whoever's around us. So if we just constantly allow our environments to change us, we will be slaves to whoever's around us. We'll be slaves to whatever the cultural messages are. We'll be slaves to whatever the environment is. Instead, we want to be grounded in the gospel. We want to be established in our faith so that whatever environment is there, we can stay grounded in who Jesus says that we are and who Jesus says we are to be. So here, the ministry, student ministry at LMBC, that's our desire for you. We want you to be grounded in the gospel, established in, in the faith. If you didn't know, that's where we got the idea of established student ministry. We want you to be established in your faith. We want you to be developed in such a way where no matter what season of life you're in, no matter what environment you're in, you know whose you are and you know who you're supposed to be and you're a follower of Jesus. And your environment is not going to change you 
from being changed into Jesus. So tomorrow we'll talk a, a lot more about how we can better do that, but tonight we just simply need to begin with this concession. God saves you to change you to be more like Jesus for his glory. We're going to develop that statement a little bit more. But this is where we have to begin. God is about changing us and transforming us. That is what God is about. And thank God he is about that because we desperately need it. We're dead apart from him. If he was not about changing us, we would be lost, completely lost. And not only do we need to be changed, but we need complete transformation. We need resurrection. You need to be resurrected from your deadness. I need to be resurrected from my deadness. And here is the beautiful thing about this. God has done it. God has done what needed to be done for you to be changed. In the person of Jesus, God became a man. He took on our sin. All of that list of stuff that we describe, don't check out on me. Listen, all that stuff we describe, the futile mind, a darkened understanding, alienation from God, twisted behaviors, God took that on himself. And he swallowed it and killed it in his death. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating it, clearing out your penalty. But then he was resurrected. And have you ever thought about why in the world Jesus was resurrected? You know, we talk a lot about the cross. The cross paid for my sin, right? His death dealt with my penalty of sin, right? So the problem is settled right there on the cross. Well, if you think Christianity is only about dealing with your debts then yeah, the resurrection doesn't make much sense. If you think being a Christian is all about just being forgiven, then yeah, the resurrection just seems like a bonus. But I would submit to you that one of the main reasons Jesus died was so that he could be resurrected. He was resurrected because we needed to be resurrected. Jesus was resurrected because our primary need was resurrection not simply forgiveness. In other words, Jesus was resurrected because our need to be changed and given a new life. Not simply acquitted, forgiven, or pronounced not guilty. If that's all that we needed, then Jesus would have no reason to raise from the dead. The cross did it all. But because Jesus rose from the dead, what it shows us is that Jesus is committed to giving us a new life. So we've compressed Christianity a lot to the point where it's only about forgiveness. It's only about receiving freedom from our penalties and not about receiving the life of Jesus. We've, bl we've been blinded, honestly, by our own escape from death at the cross that we don't see we've been born again with the resurrection. We've become excited about following Jesus into the gates of heaven, but we don't realize that following Jesus starts now, today. And this means that your transformation, your new life should begin here now. The change that you need can begin here now. 
and we want to provide a space for you guys to do that.